Hey everyone, and welcome to They're Playing Our Song, the podcast where your song becomes our song. I'm joined tonight from Chicago. Uh, I'm joined by our special guest, Craig Miller. How you doing, Craig? I am doing fantastic. Having Excellent. a nice, wonderful, uh, coolish winter Chicago day. Okay. Yes, Chicago day. Is, is it windy? Is that true, or is that, that well, that's a fallacy? Um, we did have a Friday 50-mile-an-hour gust, so mm-hmm. that is unusual, mind you, but it's not on her. But, okay, uh, great. So, Craig, you're here today to talk about Dream Theater's A Change of Seasons from yes. their A Change of Seasons EP in 1995. But before we get into the song, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you? All right, so personally, I... Uh, I'm a person who's grown up playing music a lot. I, I first started my... I grew up playing music, and it's going to be relevant to why this is my song. But um, I'm a 31-year-old father of one, and I do CAD engineering. So nothing okay. fancy, but uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, Excellent. I, I've, I've lived in Chicago my entire life, and there's a fantastic story about Dream Theater and concerts in Chicago that I would love to get to later. But all oh, beautiful. Time. Excellent. Well, uh, so Craig, I'm going to be honest. This show, uh, usually we talk about songs about three to four minutes long, and it goes anywhere from about 25 to uh, 60 minutes. So uh, this song was about, what, 23 minutes, 30 seconds or so? So it's um, a bit on the longer side, although I'm going to be honest, it is not their longest song. What's their longest song? Um, They have a song called, uh, off of... Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence is about 45 minutes long. In fact, oh, it's a two-disc album that the entire mm-hmm. disc is just that one song. Oh, wow. Well, by my math, Craig, we need about four hours for this show just to kind of extrapolate <laughs> out, so I hope you're, hope you're ready. Uh, I didn't do any beverages other than water, but uh, I'm sure I can find a, you know, some caffeine nearby if needed. Okay, great. So, so let's, let's get, get into, this, into the song. Absolutely. So you you've liked Green Dream Theater for a long time. Uh, yes. Well, so let me let me I'm going to ask you a question, and this is going to be relevant to why this is my favorite song. Have you ever had a band that hear them change the way you think about music? Change the way I think about music. That opens up a whole new dimension that you did not know existed before. I I'd have to think yes. Uh, a band that changed the way I think about music. I mean, I suppose in the sense of there have been so many bands that I've picked up through my life that have had that impact on me where, oh, this is how songs should be or this is how songs should sound. So I suppose so. But what do you mean by by a band? What, is, so what does that mean to you? What I mean by that is that I only actually discovered Dream Theater around about 2006 and right about the time Pandora launched. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with Pandora. Most people listening, I'm sure, have used it at some point in time. Oh, yes, yes. That was what when I discovered Dream Theater. Because I Dream Theater, because they're a progressive metal band, they're not something you really hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it was the death of the radio station that I had, that I had you know, grown up liking and enjoying that really spurred me to new music things. And so it happened to kind of coincide. All, a whole bunch of events happened all at once. So some background. And there was a radio station in Chicago called 96.7, Will Rock. And that's what I listened to. And they played a lot of your Black Sabbath. They would play old, some old Metallica songs and your cla- some of your classic rock, but with a little bit of a harder edge. They'd play um, grunge, Allison Chains, Nirvana. So it was a mix of your classic r- hard rock and some newer metal and rock and stuff like that. Uh, and that was what they played. And this station was what I listened to all throughout high school and then when I went to college and stuff. Well, I came back home from college and I discovered, too much to my dismay, that the station had disappeared at some point while I was away. So, no, it disappeared like not on the airwaves or turned into the top forty. Year. Yeah, it became like uh, a forty station or something like. I don't even remember what it was. I just turned it on one day and they had done music turned around. I'm listening and it's some pop song. I'm going, oh my god, this is terrible. Uh, what is this? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, pour one out for it, your station. <laughs> it worked out for the better in the end, but 
so this is this is the mid two thousands, and this is right about the time that internet streaming starts to become a thing. Mm-hmm. So Pandora launches, and I'm I'm in college at the time, so I happened to to get pointed in that direction through a friend, and so mm-hmm. okay, I check it out. And let's just say some musical rap holes went down, uh, <laughs> and I chased them down to the end, and I discovered this band that I'd never heard of that was unlike anything I was aware of. It had a reminiscent of several things I was familiar with, like Metallica and whatnot. It had hints of it, but it had something different. It was like a mix of Metallica and Rush and a whole bunch of other influences that was completely different to me. And I, it was my first foray into the genre of progressive rock and metal. Okay. And so this was Dream Theater. This is why I asked, why did you have a band that changed the way of music? Because when they first heard them on Pandora, and specifically this song, it just was so unlike anything I'd heard before. And it was, as someone who grew up playing music and who, who was like, you know, played, you know, I was in symphonic, but I played trombone and tuba and brass instruments in general. But mm-hmm. I grew up playing jazz and symphonic. It's like that a lot of musical complexity. And that just was something that was largely absent from the music I heard on the radio. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you know that step five, three to five minutes, simple hooks and power chords, something like that. That's mostly heard, and that wasn't what I grew up. You know, I, I was I was used to playing something a lot more depth to it. And Dream Theater, when I heard them for the first time, it just was something revolutionary to me. It just completely blew my mind that how could a, not only a band be so technical and have so much complexity in their songs, but also be just you know individually great musicians, but also just so enjoyable because I've always been a fan of like the horror like the rock and metal as, as you may have indicated you've heard from the different bands I've mentioned right my my taste mm-hmm. tend towards that mm-hmm. so, so you mean like like heavy like heavy metal speed metal yeah sort well, of? yeah, well, well when my, my first the first CD I ever bought was Metallica's Black Album oh yeah so and then I went back through the back catalog afterwards but that was the first CD I ever bought for myself mm-hmm. um so yes, yes, uh, that kind of stuff was very much a staple I listened to. Um, you know, Iron Maiden's another big band that I love still. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That, that harder edge, but um, that's, so it, it, was, it was this mix of styles that, like I said, the best way to describe it is like Rush meets Metallica, Queen Shrike is another band that has a lot of similarity. And that's where their origins come from, but they but they opened my mind to a whole new style of music. So, listening to Dream Theater um, was just completely changed the music I listened to, and and, and it is actually still to this day because they are my favorite band. But there's mm. they op- there's a whole bunch of other bands that I discovered through Dream Theater just by this latching onto this one band, uh, and and then just okay, wow. That was something I've never heard of, and then to create a Pandora station based on that, and then I started going out and exposes me to a whole bunch of different bands that I never would have discovered otherwise. Okay, so so Dream Theater is really a, a touchstone for your kind of adult music listening habits. It sounds like it absolutely is. Okay, now is it what, what about their songs? Because I know you know I knew them from they had a, rock, a song in rock band sure. that I remember being very very hard. So I didn't I didn't love them as much because I couldn't get a really high score on their no, damn song. That is totally <laughs> fair. Um. And then other than that, I knew um, like my brother in law really likes them. Uh, I knew that they were sort of not a metal metal band, but something in that genre. Uh, kind of getting ready for today, I looked up. I, I realized they actually were founded around around me here in Massachusetts, and they yeah, were all uh, New York, super proficient. New York band. Yeah, but they were super proficient, so they all have won lots of awards just for their technical prowess. Uh, so, is it the music? Is it the the lyrics? The combination? What is it about them that that, that does it for you? Well, so truthfully. And this is not limited dream theory, but the lyrics are not really the driving thing behind my interest in their music. Their mu- now, don't get me wrong. A change of seasons, as far as dream theory, it is not what I would say their best lyrical song. Um, mm-hmm. That I would probably go to Best of Times because it's a very personal song for the band. Um, mm-hmm. It's about the guitarist, uh, John Petrucci, his, his father's essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 a, it's a memorial song written for his father. That, I would say, is probably what I would consider their best 
lyrical song, but this is very high up there in the ranks. But generally speaking, progressive rock and metal has a reputation for not lyrically great in the sense that a lot of their lyrics are either perfunctory or um, um, a bit pretentious. <laughs> so anyhow, a lot of progressive rock and metal it can be pretentious and... Um, to give you an example, a lot of bands I listen to, concept albums are a big thing in the progressive rock and metal scene. Albums that tell a story, and they can often, they're often times fantasy and science fiction stories that are a lot of fun. One of my favorite bands is the band named Arion, and not only is each album a concept album, but each concept album is part of this larger meta-narrative they tell. Mm-hmm. So, really, that's not what drives my, my love of the genre. And even the better songs can oftentimes come a, a bit pretentious, and mm-hmm. because they're they're the the genre as a whole is skewed toward what I would call musician musicians. Okay. Technical proficiency, um, complexity, composition. The music really is the centerpiece. The lyrics exist as a vehicle for it, but it, it's really about the musicians a lot of times. Mm-hmm. There are exceptions. There are there are other bands that can name that are exceptions where the lyrics are the centerpiece and cornerstone music. But but you go through the genre, like from Rush is a band that's a progressive rock band that might be familiar with. Yeah. You, know, you listen to a lot of their songs and they can almost be silly um, in a way. Like 2112, the, mm-hmm. which is a song most people have probably heard of, at least part of the Temple yep, yep. series. It's, it's, it's a science fiction story that's, if you get down to it, it's kind of a bit silly, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. And they, they commit to it, but it's not, it's not this deep personal thing a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds, you know, I, hearing about your background, I understand why you'd put Change of Seasons up there, because you've got what, what, what honestly seems to boil down to almost like a classical mu- music structure with your various segments of the song. You've got almost like five, uh, sorry, not five movements, what is it, seven, seven different movements oh, almost. Some of them are uh, instrumental only. You know Let me out the notes I have, but I believe it is seven different sections. And there's some personal depth to the uh, thing because the, um, it, you know, the drummer, wrote a lot of lyrics during time, you know, he lost a family member recently, and yes, mm-hmm. seven sections, and of those sections, three of them are purely instrumental. In fact, mm-hmm. as you probably noticed, the lyrics don't even start till four and a half minutes into the song. That's, well, my son, uh, my son was in the car while I was listening to it, and he goes, gee, do they ever sing in this song? <laughs> he was very, very surprised at how much music there was before any lyrics at all. Well, then he would be completely floored by uh, one of the Several of the band members' side projects, Liquid Tension Experiment, it is literally an instrumental album that's 70 minutes long. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. That's, um, I, I need a little bit of lyric in my, in my songs <laughs> to really keep me. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So, I'll put it this way. Liquid Tension Experiment is an instrumental band that three of the four members of that band were in Dream Theater at various times. Now, currently, only two of those members are still in Dream Theater. Um... But you get the you get the idea. There, sure. Just the fact that there's three of the four four members, you know, three of the five members of Dream Theater comprised a band that was purely instrumental tells you what their expertise is. Sure. And one of those one of the members, Mike Portnoy, uh, a little answers anecdote. He was the uh, second youngest drummer, but into the modern drummer hall of fame. In wow, it's a magazine. I'm and I'm. You could probably guess who number one is. No surprise, but it's Neil Peart. Oh yes, yes, yes. So that doesn't make sense. Yes, yeah. and in, in fact, he models himself a lot after Neil Peart. So. No, I get. Yeah, well, you hear it. And, you know, when I when I heard this song, having very little familiarity with the band, the I'm, I'm going to read you my notes as to what sounds I was hearing, and you tell me if you hear them too or if I'm way off base. So I definitely heard metal. I definitely okay. heard progressive. I heard almost like a soft 70s pop sound. Uh, I heard some kind of hair metal 80s sounds. And then I heard a section that almost sounded like the best 80s cop show opening theme song I'd ever heard before. <laughs> and I was getting that, I think, through uh, the, the Crimson Sunrise, that, that first movement with just the instrumental pieces. Yeah. So it was 
really all over the map in like a very fascinating way. I was really surprised at that. I expected this to be sort of just a lot of like, just guitar, 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 you know, so it was, it was a nice surprise. Yes. And well, okay. So the album, you are, you're, you're, you have some good ears there. Cause but yes, that very much <laughs> Thank you. Through. Um, so the change of season itself comes on an EPM and it's an EPM that's unusual for an EPM in several ways. One that it's only got one new song, unique song to them that they wrote have several other songs in the album. In fact, there are five songs in total, but the all other four are all covers. Uh, one of them being a live cover. And it covers things like it's got covers of Elton John, um, Deep Purple. Uh, it's got Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Kansas, uh, mm-hmm. Queen, Journey, Dixie Dregs, Genesis. These are the bands that they're, they're, cover, they're covering on the other four songs on this album. And they're medleys of these different artists. So, when you point out some 70s pop and rock, it had like a bunch of bands from like the 70s and 80s, like I said, Elton John, Kansas, Journey, uh, Queen, uh, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. They all did, they did covers of parts of songs and a couple of different melodies, a couple of medleys that they did <laughs> on the album. Um, that they, so, these are their influences they, that they draw from. Uh, and so. Yeah, you're absolutely right when you're hearing those things because they're there. That's what they grew up listening to. Um, and Rush was a big influence. Um, and they have they've released cover albums of like, like live cover albums of Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast, Pink uh, mm-hmm. Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, I think they did a Metallica one. Uh, I think there was... Uh, I think it was Master of Puppets. I'd have to look it up. I'm pretty sure they did a live sure. cover of Master of Puppets. But you get you get the idea. Yeah, they have a pretty wide range of, of their own influences that they're bringing into their music, it sounds like. Yes, and, and as time went on, they brought in more um, mm-hmm. in there. Uh, and, you know, some of their later albums take a, an even heavier edge than this. Uh, their heaviest album to date would probably be Train of Thought, which takes... Mm-hmm. Some uh, very heavy, um, you know, influences from. I'm not even sure what to quantify it as. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say closest to mid '80s Metallica. Okay, so so the the kind of '80s Metallica metal. So always, that, that, that's a pretty distinct sound. Yeah, and it, but it's always tempered with the uh, progressive rock thing, with because it's got you adding always you're always adding in the keyboard in there, mm-hmm. so it's not straight, you know. 80s metal, but it's got all its other stuff. But it, it, it takes more of that edge in there, and with some more modern sensibilities. But sure, in general, yes, a lot of. So go on. Sorry, go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just oh, no. rambling on a point. No, that's good. It, you know, you can usually tell if someone loves a band because not only do they know the band, but they know the influences, and they have they have this great sense of just what's going on about them, which is 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 really the perspective that you know me being kind of a neophyte listener, sure. I don't have for them. Uh, now, when I when I was listening to Change of Seasons, um, A, thank you, this was something way out of my wheelhouse, and it was not uh, scary metal, which always <laughs> freaks me out, so thank you for that. And then B, I, this song is really sweet and sad, and, uh, you know, it, is I know you're mostly in Dream Theater for a lot of their... Their, their musical uh, components, but what do you what do you think about sort of the theme of of the song itself, the the change of seasons, the the time, the revolving nature of of life? What what do you what's your takeaway from from listening uh, to the song? Growth, maturing, and aging, yeah. and experience you gain absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, like I said, as far as Dream Theater goes, a lot of their lyrics are not focused, but this is one of the songs that I think actually does better than most because it does have that emotional resonance that a lot of their songs don't quite have. Mm-hmm. And I... Because as you listen to it, the change of seasons, it's obviously kind of a play on words with, you know, the seasons represent different stages of your life. And mm-hmm. you can hear the music and the... I think they do a really good blending of the music with the lyrics. Because as you're mm-hmm. listening, when you get to the winter section, it's talking... The, the lyrics are referencing... like hardening, uh, kind of a growing cynicism, like it references being, you know, feeling used and abused, it's like that, and, and the music takes this harder edge as it's going through winter, and you can just feel the person hardening, and then, but time goes by, 
and as the song progresses, it reaches toward the end. It's like this new spring, and it's more hopeful music as he's talking to his son. It's like, now it's your time to carry on. Uh, mm. And it's just like this renewal of life where his, his legacy carries on through his son. And mm-hmm. that's like the journey it takes you through. It's like this you know, young, naive start, you know, child of summer, and it goes on through fall and winter, and this hardening and aging this growing and renew and it's a very interesting musical jury interesting lyrics and it has a lot and does have that personal growth reference throughout and i i think mm. do a fantastic job of weaving those themes in with the tone of the music mm-hmm. how, so, how so what so what does the music kind of say to you because there's a lot of instrumental there sections is in in this so what is that do those parts say something to you as much as say the lyrics might or are they just Hey, we're just the best musicians. Check us out for a couple sections. What, what's, <laughs> well, what's there is certainly some of that too. I, they never can be accused of restraint when it comes to technical feats of proficiency. <laughs> uh, it does. Uh, one section in particular, the uh, mid section, where there's an instrumental break during winter, um, mm-hmm. and it's the darkest of winters. Is the name of the section, section four, uh, mm-hmm. and it has this. And it takes place after the lyrics are referencing this cynicism, this growing cynicism. And the music takes this chaotic edge, just hard. Like, the keyboard's kick in with this hard, you know, rhythm that's repeating, but it's got this pounding drums, the, the sharp keyboards, and it's all kind of got this chaotic um, undertone to it that rep, that's it carries through in the lyrics. It's like this person is undergoing this turmoil. There's struggles. You can kind of feel that through the music, I think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what carries it. And as the, you know, the different seasons do have different themes to them appropriately. Um, like I said, the ending takes a much brighter, the musical tone that they're playing is much brighter, much happier, more major chords, whereas the winter more minor chords. Mm-hmm. And that I think works in really well with the themes. Now, I know when I was when I was sort of doing a little bit of research on the song, I you know I read that it was uh, the, the drummer Mike Mike Portnoy, right? Yes. Was, the, was the, at the time was the drummer. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Uh, he he's no longer with the band. It, it is, there are a few musicians more, who I respect as a musician more than him, uh, and mm-hmm. he's done a tremendous. And I will get into some of his side practice in a little bit, but. Yeah, he is no longer with the band, but he was one of the founding members uh, of the band. And, but of the five people, there's only two founding members left. But yes, he was mm-hmm. he was the drummer at the time, and he also wrote a lot of the lyrics. So as you were saying, it, the drummer Mike Paul, right? Sorry. Oh well, no, no, no. That's that, that's why that's why you're on the show to be. You're the expert. <laughs> but he. So I know some of it was about his mother. His mother had died not not recently. It seemed like, but it was some, somewhat about his mother's death. Uh, but given that, and given that I usually assume metal is about death and scary things, I was really, I felt very optimistic. As much as there were parts of the song that were kind of downers or sad, the central thesis of the song felt very much about living life and how there will be sadness and there are sad moments, but there are things to look forward to and there are parts to come back to and to pass on. So yes. I, I had a mostly optimistic take. Am, am I nuts? I get that oh, a lot no, when no, my no. wife's on the show, but how do I? <laughs> you're, no, you're right. Because at the end of the song, it ends on a very hopeful note. The, uh, the, the spring where he's talking to his son is a very cheerful and hopeful note. Now it's talking about how his life has that and then, but you know, it's talking, it's, it's about the growth and experiences he's had. It is not the music and the lyrics don't have that with any sense of disappointment or anger or bitterness. Very content, um, an acceptance and contentedness, a happiness with the life he's had, regardless of all those things that have happened. It does end on a hopeful note, because like mm-hmm. I said, it, despite all the things, the the the, the events that happen, the, the bad events, it's it's, it's a, ultimately a hopeful end. And Dream Theater as a whole is a, is a fairly upbeat lyrically catalog. They have. Mm-hmm. Down them. They have some songs that are kind of sadder, but they're never really for prolonged periods. They're never bitter. They're never. They don't have. They they like they have songs that are angry. They have songs that are sad. They have songs and and all those. But 
the general tone is pretty optimistic, pretty cheerful as a whole. They're not mm-hmm. they're not a super angry band. They, there are train of thought. That album is probably their angriest album by far. Um, mm-hmm. And lyrically, train of thought. Once, the, train of thought. The album, right? Train of thought. The name of the album. Um, okay, I just thought you were letting me know you were going to go no, on the no, train no, of thought. No, 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 no. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Train of, album, train of thought, the album. Train gotcha. of thought is their seventh studio album. Yeah, and it's okay. released in like 2003, 2004. I have the number in front of me, but it's okay. early 2000s. Um, sure. And that is probably their angriest song overall. It's got a song called Honor Your Father, which is written by a drummer, um, and it is not a happy song. The song may be <laughs> Honor Your Father, but that tongue is planted firmly in cheek. Ah, gotcha, um, gotcha. Uh, you'd have to listen. It's, it's, it's got a, a we'll, we'll call them abandonment issues in there. Mm, um, okay, I can see why that's an, an angry song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, let's put it this way. I think it is the only song to date they have that has the F-bomb in it. So, oh, really? I thought every metal band was required to have at least one song per album that had a lot of swear words in it, right? Is that No, no. They, no? they really don't. Um, no, I do have bands that listen to like that, but generally speaking, the progressive metal, that's actually the exception rather than the rule. Huh. Um, going out this, like, there are a lot of very optimistic bands in the progressive I'll see now if I were to pull out Opeth or something like that that I listen to yeah that's not going to be bright and cheerful um, okay it made a very very interesting comment Opeth was one of the opening acts for Dream Theater I saw them a few years back that was very interesting because Opeth is um, Swedish black metal oh that stuff scares me I, I, I'm <laughs> dreading if anyone ever wants to do those songs because I'm a little nervous <laughs> I, I, I have several other albums I, I don't give me wrong i enjoy it but it's not something i listen to all the time uh but it is a very totally different from most of what in progressive rock and metal circles um mm. uh and, and in fact if you listen to dream theater their their bands they have a lot of side effects mm. they go off in a lot of musical directions like for okay. example mike portnoy the drummer of dream theater no longer with them was in a band called transatlantic which is a progressive rock band that is very much more out of um, a Genesis cloth than anything metal. Like they, mm-hmm. They're like a modern version of like Genesis, I would say, probably the closest, one of the closest things musically. And they have... Now, they, now, I say that because the style actually takes a lot more from other band members. Um, it's got band members uh, named Neil Morris from Spock's Beard, uh, Roy Stolt from the Flower Kings. Uh, and, and they're from a progressive rock scene that that's their influences. They don't really have the metal influences. So Transatlantic is very much a lighter, more upbeat song. It's there's no metal in whatsoever. And the drummer, who's one of the prime drivers of the metal influence in Dream Theater, plays in this band. It's a very different style for him. Mm-hmm. But that's just one aspect of their music. There's like I referenced, I mentioned earlier, Liquid Tension Experiment, which yep. is kind of like. Um, progressive rock, jazz, fusion, lots of different influences in there. Um, like they, t- play, they pull a lot from jazz. They pull from, like Some of their songs will have stuff that is more... Uh, I'm completely blanking on what to call it. Salsa almost. Like in the, mixed in with rock. And like they'll, they'll have... It's an instrumental band that is much more diverse in the taste. So it's very interesting mix of influences they bring in there. So they, they'll cover the game. They'll have jazz and they'll have rock there. Um, one of the band members played in a, uh, uh, a Beatles cover band called Yellow, Yellow Matter Custard. Uh, and so they just, they have this, and if you listen to the Beatles, which most people uh-huh. have. Everyone has. Yeah, yeah their, their music is not, it's, it's hard to pigeonhole because it contains influences. It's got the pop, but it's got some of that, you know, you know, on top of that, the kind of jazzy type feel to some of the songs. And so that's the world that they grew up listening to. So it's all over the place. It's their influence are all map. Now, Dream Theater doesn't always pull in those more um, less straightforward endings. They don't have a lot of songs I would classify as having a jazz influence. 
or even necessarily classical music influence. It does have it in there in composition, but not necessarily in style. There are other bands that do that. Dream. So, okay. So sorry. Oh, Go ahead. no, no, no. Okay. I just, I just wanted to, to ask because you, you. It seems like since you started listening, uh, kind of going down, like you said, the the metal rabbit hole, you've got metal bands that are going from A to Z in the spectrum of just oh. influence. So <laughs> how come how come change of seasons? Because it, it seems like you've got uh, you could name you know a hundred songs that you just you you totally love from Dream Theater, from from some of the you know uh, from, from the various you know metal cover bands even. <laughs> why why keep coming back to change of seasons? What is it that's special? I don't know this genre very well, so. Uh, I, I'm just really curious why come back to change the seasons. It's it's honestly kind of hard to say. It is. I would be hard pressed to say that change the seasons is not my favorite song in the world. Mm-hmm. But Dream Theater is my favorite band. I've seen them in concert numerous times, and mm-hmm. have seen some very interesting concerts with them. And the Change of Seasons is my favorite song by them. And, and the reason is probably no other than this is the song where it really grabbed me. I heard one or two of their songs, and like, whoa, that's kind of interesting. And I created our playlist, and then I heard a change of seasons. And it was 20... I did not know you could make a 23-minute long song other than Rush. I didn't know anyone who did that kind of thing. What was... Like, like, the longest song I ever heard was 2112 by Rush, and this blows that out of water. What's going on here? I do not understand this. And, and so... I heard that song, and that's the song where it hooked me. Mm-hmm. That was the first album by Dream Theater I went on. But I, I heard that in the, I, in the next day or two. I went on and bought the album because it just, it just caught my imagination because it deliberately does not follow your standard, you know, verse, chorus, verse structure. It doesn't follow any of your standard conventions for what music are if you listen to the radio. Oh, yeah. God, no. Not at all. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't even know how you can make a radio edit of a 23-long song. I, you know, I don't think it's really possible. So Maybe the Carpe Diem section. I feel like that probably is the radio, yeah. the radio friendliest section. But even, even that, if you don't have the, the lead-in from, from Innocence, you don't have it going into Darkest of Winter, you don't have the end, it's, it's, a, it's a couple thoughts. It's not really long yeah. enough to, you know what, to hold. You know, it's interesting. I guess I could find ways they could do it because Dream Theater throughout their career – have, a, have played parts of the song in concert. They played it in full in concert a few times, but most of the time mm-hmm. they play this in concert, they're playing a section or two. Uh, okay. One of their live albums called Once in a Lifetime mm-hmm. actually had... Oh, that's cute. Yes. <laughs> it was like 1999 they released the album, um, and it was recorded in France. And this, it actually has this song. It's the only live album I, of theirs that has this song in its entirety, I believe. Oh, wow. it, it, if I'm, but it's not in once. Like you play sections, but it's like one section sprinkled throughout the concert. So like you listen to the full concert, you'll hear the full song. But it's mm-hmm. not like played consecutively. It's played in like five different sections. They played a couple of instrumental sections with the uh, two at a time. And mm-hmm. they'll also do things where they'll play parts of the song in like an instrumentally. Like um, they have mm-hmm. a, a twenty three like a 20-minute-long instrument song. They call it Instrumentally, and it's like off of the Chaos in Motion tour. And they play mm-hmm. like, you know, a couple minutes of that song and some other instrumental sessions from throughout their catalog. So they play, they do play it in concert. There are ways to break up the song where they play part of it and merge it with other things. But, yeah, it's, it's really works best as a fall work. I don't think I would enjoy it nearly as much on those individual sections if I didn't know it as the full song. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's a change of season. They're not going to play the whole song here, but it's cool to hear that section, you know. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Because I know in listening to this, I looked up why, you know, because the first thing I, I think when I see the track the track uh, duration, 23 minutes, I what? come on, did they really need it to be this way? And anything I could find, uh, either whether it was uh, Mike Portnoy or just sort of general speculation on the internet, was very much the sense that this was a 23-minute song. It wasn't seven different songs that you throw together to make 23 minutes. It was a 23-minute song. So do you have any sense of why during the concerts they, they often break it up rather than just play it through in its entirety? I mean, you've seen them a bunch of times. So is yeah. it about the pacing or just how they do their shows? But generally speaking, they don't play what what called epics. They'll have they have other songs that are long in length, but it is 
only a few times that they'll play an epic song, and they usually do maybe one or two of them in a concert. Because if you think okay. about it, if you have a, a three-hour concert, or if they're not doing a full set, they're doing like a one or two, you know, two-hour concert. I've seen both styles. Mm-hmm. If you take a song that's 23 minutes long and you play one of them, that mm-hmm. is a significant percentage of your concert. You know, if you play mm-hmm. two of them, <laughs> you've basically blown almost an hour on two songs. You people will leave the concert hearing four or five songs, and that just doesn't. That'd be a hard sell. Even for a Dream Theater or Die Art, hearing four or five songs in a concert, it's like, well, that, that's it? Uh, okay, so you think it's more, it, it, it's somewhat commercial in terms of wanting to give the audience, you know, a full show rather than kind of kind of keep them keep them keep them uh, tight to only a few a few. Uh, and I'm not privy to all how they discern the set list because the reality is this song was written um, and played with band members who were not there. Um, oh, okay. So this yeah, song yeah, was released sense. in 95, and this was the first album that had Derek Sherinian on keyboards. Now, they have, throughout their career, they've had one lead guitarist and one bass. They're the two constants throughout the, their entire career. Their, their vocalist, James uh, Labrie, has been with them for almost the entire catalog. They, he was only absent on their first album, on Dream and Day and Night. Um, they had a guy named Charles Dunn, and they parted ways that didn't quite work, and they brought... James Zabrian, and mm. uh, interested me in a trivia. Uh, I don't know, this is maybe somewhat apocryphal. I'm not sure why it's on Prince of True, but apparently the song that he, sold, that he tried out for, that he convinced him that he was a singer, was Queen Shrek's Queen of the Right, which you, you go listen to that, you'll, under, you'll hear it. It's not a vocally simple song. Very high portions on it, too. Um, okay. Uh, Anyhow, he's been with them for most of their career. James Labrie, but uh, they had a, a keyboardist named Kevin Moore, who was with them for their first two albums, but he left after I uh, named a which directly would precede a change of seasons. Another song had been written in apparently 1989 and started writing it and put it on an album. It was supposed to be in one early albums, but they just couldn't get it to fit. So they kind of kicked it off and they did it. Um, so this was actually the first album that had Derek Sherinian on keyboards because Kevin Morris had left After Awake. He was mm-hmm. only with them for this album and then their next album, which um, is called Fly Into Infinity. Mm-hmm. And, and if you listen to it, the keyboards are a very prominent part of what this song is. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I mean, uh, definitely they, they come in. I, I don't remember hearing them too much earlier in the song, but as the song progresses, they definitely started becoming a, a pretty key part especially of those, during those instrumental winter. sections. Especially yeah. in winter. That's the keyboards really set the forefront. They brought it. Now, the keyboards they had that replaced them, uh, their Scenes from Memories album, which, was, came, out, which came out in 1998, mm-hmm. the keyboard replaced them was very talented on his own. Um, and Jordan Rudis was a fantastic soloist on his own. Really great. So they, their keyboards changed, and they brought in Jordan Rudis from memory, which came out a couple of years after this album did. It was great. And Jordan Rudis is a very talented musician. He's a solo artist on his own. He played with Rod Morgenstein and several other. He played with the Dixie Dregs before mm-hmm. he came to Dream Theater. So he had been a professional musician before, and he's a very he's a different style of keyboardist, and he brings a different aspect to the album. Mm-hmm. So in in general, they tend to play. They play, tended to play more of their recent stuff on a lot of their concerts. They'd have, they'd have some old standbys, but a change of season being a 23-minute long song, and it, it just never. I, 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 I'm, I'm speculating, but I think it's just because it's the, the band composition changed because it's a 23-minute long song. It's a very technically demanding song. Mm. It was, it was. They just prefer to play other stuff. Now they do play it in concert. And it's not to say they don't, but it's just not. One of their concert staples. Um, mm. Whereas, have you, they have. Have you heard the whole thing? Have you have you heard it? Have you one of their shows? Have they ever played through straight through, have, or have you only heard the snippets? I've only. No. I, I've, uh, like I said, I only discovered Dream Theater in about 2006. So mm-hmm. by that time, this album was already 11 years old. Yeah, I guess that's true. So you know, it, it was more of a thing than I has been. And by the time they started going in a music, different musical direction and. Um, in the mid early two thousands, mm-hmm. the drummer was, and this is part of why he left the band. He started pushing in more 
metal, you know, more wanting more metal influences, more of that traditional metal. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, part of the reason he left Dream Theater is because he was wanting to do more of that. But there was also some conflict of scheduling because he was also touring with the Je- Venge Sevenfold at the time. Oh, so yes, I know that I know them also for rock band. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's um, well, the song that they, they play on rock band, he he probably played that on tour with them because. Uh, their drummer, I don't remember the exact, I think their drummer died and he was, he came in and filled in. He never became a permanent member of the band, but he toured with them and filled in on one of the albums as a studio artist. Okay. Um, but anyhow, he was wanting to do more of that. Kind of, and, and the band was saying, no, this is, we want to do this. We want to, this is how we want to put And there was some creative disagreements combined with some scheduling mm-hmm. conflicts because of the other stuff they're doing. And so they, they basically kicked him out of the bands to, to be blunt. no, yeah, Dude, that's too fun. bad. He he was he was great on this on this on this song. He was really I mean that you could tell that he was you know ready to play and he would just come in and it was just so you know it, it, I caught it every time he started mm-hmm. drumming. Uh, you, you know when I would hear him come in with that snare, just bam! It just took me every time. I just started listening to the drum line, which I rarely do. I usually pay more attention to the guitar or the vocal. So it's oh. it's, it's kind of sad he's not. With them anymore. Yeah, they brought in Mike Mangini now, and he's a very talented drummer on his own, but I, I, I don't think there's many drummers who compare with Mike Portnoy, and especially with Mike Portnoy's rig. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to... I'm, everyone who's listening, just go on and Google the Siamese Monster, okay? This was Mike Portnoy's <laughs> kit for this this part of the uh, the show. It is a, a, an amazing piece of kit. Um, mm-hmm. it, I do not even know how he understood what drum was what, because you look at it, it's just this massive mess of, of instruments, drums, cymbals, hi-hats, basses. There's three basses on it. There's, I don't even know how many other, there's like six or seven pieces of it on this kit. It is just amazing. Wow. Uh, beautiful, wow. completely confusing to someone who's not a drummer, but amazing. Um, so yeah, Mike Portnoy demands, like his drumming demands you listen to it. Oh, oh that's yeah, and that's that's super clear on this song, and especially I guess because he, you know, he's a lyricist. Yeah, it had uh, it had so much meaning to him personally. Yeah, and he he was one of the primary lyricists for for much of their career, and one of the pri- he was one of the primary uh, creative artists on the band. Him and the lead guitarist uh, were responsible for a large percentage of their songs. Now they did have earlier. Uh, in their early albums, their keyboardist Kevin Morris did contribute, but when he left, the keyboardist that came in really didn't do much of the songwriting. The bassist John Young, he also mm. wrote a few songs, um, but by and large, it fell mostly to Mike Portnoy and John Petrucci to do the songwriting. Mm. So, but yeah, so absolutely left a big hole. Now I think they've done phenomenally since then. I do enjoy their song, and I'm glad that they took some, some taking some creative different different creative directions because honestly the last few albums with Mike Portnoy I thought were not as good as their previous efforts and they've come back and they're, they've been better since but it does make me sad because Mike Portnoy is the person who really made me as much as Dream Theater made me rethink music Mike Portnoy made me rethink what drummers are <laughs> oh wow that transformative a guy well you know because he, I'd heard Neil Peart but he just was kind of like a one-off freak of nature type thing is my mind I'd never <laughs> realized that like, okay, yeah, it's Rush. Rush is kind of their mm-hmm. own special beast, but there's no one else really like that out there. You know, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really wasn't the case. I just I just was not familiar with these bands. I wasn't hearing them. You don't hear them on the radio mm-hmm. because that's not the style of music that's out there. So I didn't know that this was the kind of thing that was available. So, yeah, it really was that transformative because there are other, there are other very talented drummers out there, and I, I, I've discovered more of them. But Mike Porno is the first one that really made me think, wow, okay, drumming can be more than just this rhythm, and it can be so much more. It can actually be part of the music rather mm-hmm. than just the, the line beneath it. Yeah. Well, Craig, honestly, listening to you talk about a dream theater in general, but certainly changes seasons, I'm pretty sure I understand why it's your song. When you use the word transformative, you don't need to do much more than that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're talking about progressive metal, which is not everybody's cup of tea, no. so... You, you knew it was coming, uh, but why should A Change of Seasons be our song? All right. I think it should be our song because it showcases musicians at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. M- more than anything else, 
it shows what musicians who are allowed to play music that they love and and just what a group of talented musicians and each of them is a talented musician in their own right. It's a spectacular artist in their own right. What what it's not just a focal point on one member. It is five musicians who are each very talented, combining their talents to a work that they uh, that that showcases what they are without being disorganized. It's it's a cohesive mm-hmm. song. Whereas a lot of times uh, you listen to some other bands that are technically proficient, like take a Ying Van Malmsteen type. He's a very oh, talented yeah. guitarist. Phenomenal guitarist, but if you listen to his music, it is a song that is to show he's a phenomenal guitarist. Mm-hmm. It is not a song to showcase a band and the song. It's a, sh- it's a song to showcase this cool guitar, neoclassical riff he's come up with. And stuff like that. That's what new. But Dream Theater, this, this change of season, not that it's a song that no one part overrides the other. They're all, they all have their place. They all work together in concert to form this song that has this emotional core and tells a story, tells us an emotional journey. And that's mm-hmm. why it should be our song, because it, it, it showcases the musicians without you know, falling apart. It works as a song as well as a showcase. Well, you know, Craig, to be honest, if you made me someone who is honestly a little scared, like if metal were a person walking on the street, you know, on the same side of the sidewalk, I'd cross to the other side of the street just to, <laughs> just to be careful. They might mug me. Uh, you know, but you made me listen to something <clears throat> way outside my safety zone, and I really enjoyed it. So, honestly, uh, I, I'm very, very confident in saying that you've made A Change of Seasons by Dream Theater, our song. Oh, it's nice. To have a new song, a new uh, a new genre to, to pick up. I'm always uh, happy to uh, spread the good word. <laughs> <laughs> well, Craig, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing. A, a, I don't. I think you were the first. Uh, you're the first metal band we've talked about at all on the on the show. So well, I, congratulations. I, 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 I'm I'm very honored to have that privilege. Um, I, I, <laughs> I decided to keep it nice for you because I I know that makes it a little easier. Um, at least at least we have the age right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Craig, it's been a real, a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on to to share your song with us. Uh, is there anything uh, I I hear this on the other podcasts, so that's why I always ask people. But anything that you do online, other than you know work stuff, that that you want to share? No, I, I I I I I'm just a person who actually the discovered it because you mentioned it with Tom, mm. and that's and I as a person who loves music, I went. That's really cool. So, but I don't really Thank have um, any. I'm not. I'm not a, a writer. I don't have any special projects online. I just. Uh, I'm a guy who really loves music and 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 wanted to share some something with someone who obviously you love music too because otherwise you would not have this podcast. Nope, nope. That's uh, it's where it came from. Is as I wanted to talk about. Well, I wanted to make it a show about me talking about my favorite songs, but I realized that was a little self indulgent. <laughs> so I said, "Why don't I ask other people?" And then sometimes I'll talk about my favorite songs and sneak it in there. Uh, so, but I do love, I do love getting something new to listen to, and I think this week is way outside my comfort <laughs> zone. So uh, I hope I didn't sound too, uh, too grandma-ish or anything. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, I, I. I, I you know what? There are a lot of bands I could have picked that would have been a lot more scary. But <laughs> believe me, I, I, I it would neither be honest nor accurate to pick those for me. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, if you ever ever really feel the need to get into some death metal, I suppose we can we can try it at some point if you, if you really really feel like it. But uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, you know, what? those are uh, very much an acquired taste. I, I don't I don't subject those to people who don't ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Craig, thanks so much again for being on the show today. Thank you very much. Um, I, let's see. Uh, oh, I have to do all our plugs. Uh, so if you are interested, like, like Craig was, and you're interested in sharing a, sharing a song with the world at large, uh, you can email me at, at rob at playingoursong.net. You can find us online at playingoursong.net where we have links to, these, to, to purchase the songs. And if they have a video, we get the video up there so you can listen as well. You can follow us on Twitter at playing underscore our song. And uh, I'm going to be honest, Craig, I think by the time this episode goes up, uh, I might have averaged, I'm trying to up my tweet average, I might be at like 2.5 per day, so I'm, I'm very excited about that as well. 
and then you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash playingoursong.net. I think that's all our social. It's hard to remember all that stuff. <laughs> Uh, uh, you, you got, that's what you have the website for. If you forgot anything, you know, just uh, go to the website. I'm sure you can find them there. That's exactly. That's the, that's the stuff. That's that's much more succinct, Craig. I'm going to steal that next time. I'll just say, go to my website. <laughs> Craig said. Craig said that's the way to do it. So that, yeah, that works. There you me. go. <laughs> well, Craig, again, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. And for everyone else, we'll see you here next week. Until then, remember, it's your song. So play it long and play it loud. Bye, everyone. Bye.